all together. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. I just want to warn you, if you're going to pray this, God is going to show you. Welcome once again. We are in the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians has been a journey for us. As we've been going through the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul is talking to a church that is in trouble. Paul is talking to a church that has all kinds of things going on in its life. There are divisions within the church. Some that say that they're with this group of Paul, or some say that they're with Peter. Some say that they're with Apollos, and other group says, you know, we're not following anybody. We're just going to listen to what Jesus says. There's divisions. There's all kinds of uh, backbiting. There's sexual immorality within the church as well. Lawsuits against the brothers. They're suing each other in this church. They are uh, distorting marriage and what marriage is supposed to be like and how it's supposed to be done. And so Paul is talking to them about being married and how to be married and why to be married and not to be married. They are uh, also, uh, they, were, they were offering sacrifices and foods to idols within the church and doing things that, you know, that the world was doing. And they were bringing it within the church. They, they were having a love feast. Uh, and during that love feast, what they would do is they would partake of communion of the Lord's Supper, which we're going to do today as well. And every first Sunday of the month, we have our Lord's Supper. And what we did at the beginning of this year is we incorporated it with the love feast. Because this love feast, this time, we can eat tacos anywhere. Amen. And we can eat tacos at any time. But when we do it with friends and family and the church, it becomes something significant. It's not about really the food, which I'm sure it's going to be good, or else they wouldn't pick these guys. It's not about how much we eat. It's about the time that we spend together. The church, what they were doing is that they were coming in and they were gorging themselves. They were getting drunk. They were drinking and they'd come in early and bring all the food. And by the time the people that were working around the city came in, everybody was drunk and everybody, all the food was gone. And they, so they were despising these, I guess, less than people. They didn't have as much. And so Paul just, you know, is, is calling them out on all of this. And, and he talks to them about their time of worship and, and how worship should be an honor and should, shouldn't be confusing. And then we get to chapter 12 of the spiritual gifts. And we've been talking about 12, 13, and we're now in chapter 14, verse 20, if you want to open up your Bibles there. But in chapter 12, Paul says, you know, I, I have given everyone in the church a very spe- spe- uh, special spiritual gift. And everyone has a gift of some sort. Not everyone has all the same gifts. But every one of you, most of you, are trying to go after the showy gifts. You have the the gifts of tongues, the gift of prophesying, the gift of teaching. You're going after these showy gifts when all these other people that don't have those gifts, they think of themselves less than, as we talked about in chapter 12. And so Paul says, you know, there's something that's missing within this congregation. In all these things that are going on within this church, Paul says, the one thing that's missing, and he inserts right there, chapter 13, which we all know, or many people know, as the chapter of love. And he talks to us about love. What love is, love, genuine love, is self-sacrificing. Genuine love is not this emotion. Genuine love is what we do and how we behave with one another, how you are more important than me within the church. And Paul tried to stress this as much as possible. And he said, you know, if you just got this one principle right, if you just looked after the best of everyone else and sacrificed yourself for the benefit of others, sacrificed your comfort, sacrificed your uh, needs, 
And I, and I want to thank you, church, those that are here on a regular basis for looking around and realizing somebody took my seat. But I thank you ahead of time, and I thank you because you're sitting where God wants you to sit right now. But, you know, that's okay because we're going we're gonna to self-sacrifice ourselves for the benefit of everyone else that is here for us. And the same thing will be when we go to lunch. And uh, let everyone else keep, go before us. It's not about us. It's not about me. It's about you. And if every one of us had that same attitude, it's not about me, it's about you. If we had that same attitude in marriage, it's not about me, it's about you. If we had that same attitude within our families, it's not about me, it's about you. In our jobs, it's not about me, it's about you. In our community, it's not about me, it's about you. In our government, it's not about me, it's about you. I think we would get so much further ahead than trying to make people believe what I believe and making them do what I want them to do and causing all this chaos that's going on even now. Paul tells us that love never ends. Prophecy, it will end. Tongues, they have stopped already. And they will end. And knowledge, well, it will end eventually. We talked about how all these things fall into place as to why it is that we still need prophecy and knowledge and why tongues has already stopped. We've identified tongues as tongues being the tongues of the languages that was spoken of in, in Acts chapter 2, 16 different languages. And the people, as they spoke, everybody heard in their language. As like today, there might be people here that speak Spanish, and I'm going to probably interpret a little bit of that for the benefit of everybody. But the most important thing Paul is saying in chapter 14, that prophecy, speaking God's word, not fortune-telling, We've already identified that as well. Not telling the fortune, not going over people's heads and telling them what you need to do because this is what I said. But speaking God's word. During that time, God's word hadn't been completed as of yet. But when the word of God got completed, this is the word of God, folks. This is it. This is all I need. I don't need an outside source to tell me what God said because I got it right here. This is the word of God. And I hold it in my hands, and I meditate upon it, and I read it, and it's important that we understand it because this is what Paul is trying to get across to us, as we'll see right now in verses 20 through 25. And so he says, the tongues was important. It was important because people didn't understand uh, the Aramaic or the Hebrew. They didn't understand that language, so as they spoke, the miracle happened, and they were able to hear the word of God. And every time that gift was pronounced, they heard in their language the word of God. Now, something happened in Corinth where tongues became something else. It became gibberish. And Paul is making fun of them and saying, you know, you're messing up and everything else. And you can't be taking this to the next level as if it was something new. Because eventually it's going to be done with. Because now we have the ability to translate and to be able to speak. And people come to know who God is. And in 14, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 20 through 25, Paul says this. And right before that, he says, you know, I thank God that I speak all kinds of tongues, plural tongues. He says, and uh, talking about the authentic use of the word of tongues, more than all of you, nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. There's a clear distinction here, folks. The authentic speaking of tongues was the languages that people could understand. We understand it as being languages. But when Paul singles it out, a tongue, he's talking about this gibberish that this church was doing. And Paul says it's important to understand and recognize this 
significance. So before I go into the verses 20 and on, let me lead us in a word of prayer. Father in heaven, I want to thank you once again for giving us this opportunity to dive into your word. Lord, there are many people here that come from various backgrounds, and I pray, Father, that your word does exactly what it says it's supposed to do. The word of God is is sharper than any double-edged sword that cuts deepest into the bone and marrow of our spirit. And Lord, we want to preach and proclaim your word and your word only. Lead us this morning. I thank you for the fellowship. I thank you for this time that we have, I pray in Jesus' name. And everybody says, amen and amen. And in verse 20 of chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, it says this. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants at evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus, tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. When Paul was talking to the church, and he was writing them this letter. He says, don't be, you know, don't be children in your thinking. Don't get all caught up in this emotion, this euphoria, this, this idea that this is the way it's supposed to be. It's not supposed to be that way. Whatever you guys are doing, stop it, he says. Be, be infants in the evil that you're participating in. We just talked about a whole lot of evil this church was all plugged into. And he says, if you want to be an infant, be an infant in the bad things. There are a lot of people that have this theological understanding or think they have a theological understanding on what all these things mean. And Paul is saying to them, you know, what Paul is saying, what you need to do is you just got to receive it. Receive it as if you understood what God was telling you through his word. He says, if, and do not be children in your thinking. Do not be children in your thinking of the things that are in God's word. You have to dig into it. Find a Bible scholar, a teacher, somebody that can lead you. Dive into God's word. Don't just take it for granted that this is what it says. In 1 John chapter 4, John says you have to test every spirit. You should test them. When people say they have a spirit, well, you should test it. Well, does it glorify God? Does it elevate Jesus? Most of the time, the spirit that most people have either edifies the Holy Spirit or edifies themselves. And Jesus said himself that the spirit that is coming, he will come not to bring glory to himself, but to bring glory to Jesus. And so as we are growing in the word of God, as we're growing in the understanding, our theology has understood and we start to understand a little bit more as mature spiritual beings. Because that's what God made us to do, to do it with our mind. And then he says, all this evil that you guys are participating in, that's how you should be childish. That, all this, whatever you're doing with your tongue as far as gossiping, backbiting, as far as what it is that you're doing about talking about people, Coveting, uh, all these things, that's where you should be a child. Those are the things that you should put aside. Those are the things that you should put behind you. Because those are the things that are hurting this church. and Not this church, please, don't get me wrong. <laughs> the, the church in Corinth. And as Paul is talking to them, he says, that's where you need to be a kid. 
be a child again. Because he says this, in the law it is written. Now, i got to give you a little bit of background as to what Paul is referring to here. In the book of Isaiah, Isaiah is told by God to tell the people, you know what, they have, been, they have not been listening to me. And so what's going to happen is they're going to be captived, captivated and taken away. And they're going to be taken away from their country, from their temple, from their God, and they're going to be prisoners of another language, of another people group, because they will not listen. And it's interesting that Paul uses this Old Testament verse, always use the Bible to clarify what it is that you want to say. Don't just say it. Clarify what you want to say. And this is what Paul said. He says, and in verse, uh, verse 21, By people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. What Paul was saying to them is, is this is what Isaiah said to the people in Jerusalem. It took them away, and these people were speaking to them. They could not understand them, but even then, after they were taken away, they would not listen. They still continued in their evil, in their adulterous uh, practices, in their idolatry. They still practiced that, and they would not listen to me, so God says, I took them away. Thus, Paul says, tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. The unbelievers were the unbelieving Jews. So when tongues had come in Jerusalem, that should have been an indication that everybody else now is listening. The Jewish people didn't understand what was going on. Well, what are they doing? He says, this is what Isaiah talked about. This is what Isaiah prophesied about, because you are not following what God had commanded you to do. Now, many of you understand that Jesus Christ came onto this planet over 2,000 years ago to establish his kingdom, because people were not listening to God's commandments. So God himself came down, and we celebrate Christmas for that. He came down to become the propitiation, which is the sacrifice, the atonement. He satisfied a law that needed to be satisfied, that I couldn't satisfy, you couldn't satisfy. Jesus did it. He did that so that we can have this communication, this connection with him. And the people would not accept Jesus Christ. They would not accept what Jesus Christ was doing. And so they murdered him. They crucified him on a cross. They had him executed. They killed him because they would not believe the word of God. And that's what Paul is saying. And so what happens? Now it's not just for the Jewish nation. It's for everybody. Now we have this language, this word, not only just for the Jews. Now it's going out to everybody. And so he says that's the sign. That's the sign. And, you know, it's interesting because the Bible says here, thus tongues are a sign not for believers, where you have a lot of churches that that's what they do. No, no, tongues is for believers. It says so in Mark, that everybody should have this. But Paul is saying, no, no, it's not for the believers. It's for the unbelieving people that don't believe God. So that they can see that something has taken place. Something new has happened. Something has come about because the unbelieving people needed to realize, wow, God did an amazing, did you hear that? See, I'm from Ethiopia. I speak Ethiopian, yet that person is speaking Aramaic, yet I understood what he said. Did you see that? He goes, well, no, I'm a Russian. So, you know, whatever he was speaking, you know, I heard it in Russian. And that was the sign that came about. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outside or unbelievers enter, will they not say you're out of your mind? I don't know about you, but I've entered into some places that I think, Man, these guys are out of their mind. Nobody understands what's going on here. And why is it that they're doing this? I don't know. Somehow, somewhere, somebody said it was okay. But Paul is telling us that's not okay. Because here's what's okay. Here's what Paul says. But if all prophesy, 
Again, prophecy is not talking, foretelling, telling the future. Prophecy is this, is speaking God's word. That's prophecy. Speaking for God. God at one time was able to tell people what it is that he wanted them to know. And now they are listening to God's word. Today we have God's word. And this is the prophecy that comes to us. And so as we stand on Sunday morning and your pastor preaches the word of God, he is prophesying to you. He is giving you God's word, not telling you something new. I've had people come up to me and say, well, you know, I, I, I want to prophesy over you. And I says, well, I, I don't, what do you have? And he says, well, God said that you need to, you know, proclaim the word. And I says, well, I already know that. It says so right here. So if I agree with what they're saying, that's fine. It's good. I'm glad that they are stating what the Bible says. But to be honest with you, if I have the Bible, I don't need somebody else to tell me that. But if it doesn't agree with the Bible, if they tell me something that totally disagrees with Scripture, then I just back away. I says, you know what? I don't want that. Because we have the Word of God. And here's what Paul says in verse 24. But if all prophesy, if all speak God's word, an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all, the secrets of his heart are dis disclosed, and so, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among us. That's just the introduction, folks. Pull out your outlines. Because when you prophesy, when you communicate God's word, when you communicate God's word, number one, God's word convicts the heart. Can somebody say amen? There are times that you have heard the word of God preached. And there are times you're hearing the preacher just speak what God's word is saying. And there are times that you have sat there and you're thinking, oh my God, you know, that's just, that's just ripping at my heart. You know, there are times that you have entered a church and you have come to the place where the word of God is being spoken. Or maybe you just read it. And you understand that God is telling you to do something different, and it's convicting your heart. That's what the Word of God does. When you communicate God's Word, that's what it does. You communicate God's Word. See, in verse 14, verse 24, he will be convinced of all that he is a sinner and will be judged by all. In John 16, 8, it says, when he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. That's what God's Word does. And it should convict. And it, God's pure word convicts every person. It's like a mirror, James says. The word of God is like a mirror. I stand up and I look at it and I can see myself. I can see my sin. I can see the ugliness that I am. I am a sinner. I am a person in dire need of a savior. I need salvation and I need to cling to the rock that is higher than life. I am a sinner. You wouldn't believe on how many times people have come up to me and says, you know, when what you said today, it would just, it just cut me to the heart. People have walked in crying sometimes because of the music, because of the word. So people have walked in and recognized, you know, there's something different. And not just here, but people do it in other places as well. They go to a church somewhere else and they'll, they'll sense that God is working there because the word of God is being preached and it convicts the heart. Number two, it challenges the heart. It challenges the heart. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. See, God looks at the heart. God looks at everything that you are and who you are. He looks within your heart and he knows you better than anybody else. In Jeremiah 17.10, it says, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Very long time ago in the time of David, before King David had been brought up, God says, you know, I am, I am disappointed in my king, Saul. And I, I, don't, I don't even know what, what I'm going to do with him. I'm just going to get rid of him. But we have to get another king up. 
And so God tells Samuel, I want you to go to Bethlehem. I want you to go to Bethlehem, and I want you to go talk to Jesse. Jesse has some sons that I want you to, to look at, evaluate for me. And so Samuel the prophet goes and talks to Jesse in Bethlehem, and he says, call your sons, and he brought them. And the first son, huge, handsome, strong, tall, he looked really good. That's got to be God's chosen. God says, nope, not that one. All right, Jesse, you got another one? Yeah, I got another one. Bring that. Nope, not that one. Seven sons walked by him. Seven sons, and Jesse said, okay, there's got to be one of these guys because God said, you have the son, you have the next king of, of Israel. And then so Samuel asked Jesse, Jesse, do you have any more sons? Oh, yeah, I have a smaller runt of a kid. His name is David. But he's not taking care of the sheep in the, in the, in the pasture. Now, one of the things that we've learned about shepherds is that shepherds, by nature, were social outcasts. They, they weren't allowed to come in and worship in the temple because of their uncleanliness. So David was a social outcast. And as David came by, the Bible says that Samuel says, that's the guy. And he anointed him and he gave him. See, because, and then, and then God says to Samuel, you see, you look at the outside. But God, he says, I look at the heart. God constantly challenges your heart. He convicts your heart. He challenges you to make the changes that you need to make. He challenges you to, to get connected, to grow, to develop. And after today, many of you were going to say, well, you know, I need to grow and develop. I got to check this out and what he's saying. I mean, I got the notes here. Is this what it actually means? Do I need to go back and listen to that sermon again, which is on SoundCloud, if you want to download it on, on SoundCloud or whatever podcast attic you might have? And, and you can listen to the tape and, and search it for yourself. And see how God challenges the hearts. And you need to pray this like David in Psalms 139, 23 and 24. Say this aloud with me in your outlines. All together. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. I just want to warn you. If you're going to pray this, God is going to show you. But if you truly want to serve God, if you truly want to sense that you're there with him, if you truly want to be, spend eternity with him, you got to have God. Because you, you lie to yourself. Jeremiah also said, the heart is deceitful and wicked beyond cure. And it's interesting that many people go around saying, well, you got to follow your heart. But God says, it's wicked. It's beyond cure. Nobody can understand it. Not even you understand your own heart. Oh, the heart wants what the heart wants. You know, and so I got to do what I feel like. If it feels good, you got to do it. Folks, the heart is deceitful and wicked. This is why God challenges the heart. Number three, it creates a heart of worship in the rest of uh, verse 25. See, see what happens is what, what, if, we, if everybody is prophesying, an unbeliever on our outside enters in, he is convicted by all that, and he is called to account by all. The secrets of his hearts are disclosed, and God challenges you. And number three, he creates a heart of worship. And so, falling on his face, he will worship. Folks, when you come face to face with God, the most natural thing to do is to fall down. You're going to fall on your face, and you're going to worship God. And when you do this, you come face to face with God. The first thing that happens, we're going through this study on Wednesday night. And I want to encourage you to be here if you could. And it's called, Be Holy as I Am Holy, the holiness of God. And we, we understand that anybody that sees God will die. The, the prophet Isaiah that we just talked about, he saw the glory of God, and he was scared. Peter saw the works of God, and he was scared. People that come in contact with God are scared, shaking at their boots, falling to the ground, recognizing that they are in the presence of God. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard that 
maybe some people have seen God or heard God or uh, played with God, and he showed up, and we played football, we held hands, we, uh, we're in the medals together, we're just kind of there playing with each other's hair, and, you know, and, and then that's not God. I don't know what it is, but that's, when you come face to face with God, you come face to face with the fact that you are standing before a holy God and you should be dead. And the very first reaction is, you fall down on your face and say, Lord, I'm a sinner. Depart from me, for I am a man of unclean lips who dwells with the people of unclean lips. And it creates a heart of worship, and you desire to, 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 to call him out. He's a way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. That is my God. It causes you to recognize his glory and his power and his strength and what he can do in your life and through the life of a church when it's wholly committed to God. And the last thing he does when I communicate God's word is confirms the presence of God. Paul says, see, this is what happens. You fall on your face, you'll worship God and declare that God is really among you. And so this is why Paul is saying, see, tongues, the, if people are going out in, in spasmic ways and just talking in, even if it was the real tongues, and if people don't understand that, then what happens is the people are going to say, you know, this just, I, I can't understand this. I got to walk out. This is why sometimes it's good to have the language that you need. Because when you have the language that you need, people can understand. See, and that's the good news. That's when you communicate God's word. The good news is what you want to communicate. Not your idea of what you think it should be, but you communicate God's word. Yo no sé si ahorita hay personas aquí que no hablan inglés o no entienden mucho en inglés. Yo sé, pero para, para saber lo que está una persona diciendo, la persona necesita que comprender el lenguaje de lo que usted sabe. Porque si no, solamente es, eh, nomás es un, un ridazo que se está haciendo, como dice la Biblia. Es un ridazo que, que solamente ni, ni, ni pertenece a mí. Yo tengo hambre, quiero tacos, yo quiero Taco Bell. Oh, you guys understood that one, huh? Yeah. And, and for some people, I, I, I hay gente que probablemente que la, la palabra de Dios quiere llegar a su corazón, pero no se le puede llegar porque hay, hay mucho ridazo de, de, de lenguas o de cosas que está pasando. Pero la, las buenas nuevas, las buenas nuevas es que Cristo murió por usted. Y Él está enamorado con usted. Y la palabra de Dios y las buenas nuevas de si muere una persona sin Cristo, no entra al cielo. Lo que hicimos ahora es una religión. What we did today was a religion. And this is the good news. Number one, in the back of your outlines, the good news is religion cannot save you. La, las buenas nuevas de esto, religión no te puede salvar. No, no le puede, la religión de venir a la iglesia, la religión de hacer los baby dedications, la religión de a, a, a comer la santa cena, la religión de, de pues, a leer la Biblia, la, la religión de nomás estar aquí presente en un lugar donde probablemente está Cristo. Religion cannot save you. The religion of doing the baby dedications or the Lord's Supper or all those religious acts that we do will not save you. Yet many people are convinced that they're saved because they go to church. Oh yeah, I even got a Bible. I've got a big Bible. I've got the biggest Bible I can get. It's got tabs all over it, and I am good and set. And I can just take off, and I can run with it because I am a good Christian. I go to church on Sundays and Sunday nights and on Wednesday nights. But how do you live during the week? Well, you know, that's something, something else. Hay personas que van a la iglesia cada domingo, los miércoles y los viernes en la tarde, o cuando sea que está abierta la, la, la la iglesia tiene su Biblia amplia, grande, la tiene por todas las tradiciones para poder leerla, pero realmente están pensando que con eso, 
es suficiente. Religión no puede salvar a cualquier persona. Folks, this is important. So bear with me for those of you that aren't understanding this. But I'm trying to do the best I can in my uh, translation. I was going to get an interrupter, I mean an interpreter. <laughs> but I says, I, I can do this. Religion cannot save you. In John chapter 3, a man named Nicodemus. Nicodemus was the, the spiritual leader of Jerusalem. Un, un hombre en Juan capítulo 3 llegó a Cristo, Nicodemus. Y él llegó a Cristo en la noche porque él estaba, tenía poco miedo. He was afraid that he was going to be seen by other people. Y lo que él hizo vino a Cristo y le dice, yo sabemos que tú eres de Dios porque nadie puede hacer lo que tú haces. And he came to Jesus in the night and he says, uh, you know, I know that you are a man that comes from God because nobody can do the things that you do. And it's, it's interesting because the very next thing that Jesus says has nothing to do that he can do things. He could have said, well, I do miracles. Él podía decir que, es cierto, yo hago milagros. Yo puedo hacer todo lo que estoy diciendo. Yo digo cosas que mucha gente comprende. I can say things that a lot of people understand. He could have said all kinds of things. Podía decir muchas cosas, pero lo que él dijo, lo que Cristo le dijo a Nicodemus fue esto. And he told them this. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say unto you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Si no, si no estás nacido por nuevo, no puedes entrar al, al reino del cielo. Now, if you go back into that John chapter 3 and look at that, Nicodemus didn't ask anything about the kingdom of God. Nicodemus nunca preguntó del reino del cielo. Pero Dios conoce su corazón. God knows your heart. He knows that that is one of the fears that you have. That when you die, that you may not make it into heaven. Because you've been practicing religion. Mucha gente está pensando en su corazón porque ya Dios lo conoce. Está pensando probablemente que usted cuando usted muera no va a entrar al cielo porque usted está dependiendo en su religión. And church, I'm talking to you, church. Estoy hablando de iglesia. La gente de aquí, de personas que van a la iglesia cada domingo o aunque sea dos veces al domingo o aunque sea dos veces al año. Two, maybe you go to church twice a year religiously, Christmas and Easter. And you think maybe that's good enough, but it's not. Religion cannot save you. And this religious leader, esta persona que conocía la Biblia, detrás y para adelante, this person that knew the Bible back and forth, Jesus told him, you can't get into heaven unless you're born again. Well, what does that mean? Pues Nicodemus le preguntó, ¿qué quiere decir eso? ¿Necesito que ser otro bebé así como antes y entrar entre el ventre y salir otra vez? ¿Cómo va a, ser, cómo va a pasar todo eso? How is this going to happen? He asked Jesus. He might have to enter my mother's womb and come back out again as a baby. Oh, Jesus says, no, no, you got to understand this. Hay que poder comprender lo que estoy diciendo. Necesita que estar nacido del Espíritu de agua. Otra vez, Isaías. And once again, Isaiah. They were to be sprinkled with water. They were to be washed by the, the washing of the baptism. They were to be cleansed by the Spirit and by water. And it has all kinds of uh, theological implications, but... Most importantly, this is what it meant. Más importante, eso es lo que quería decir Cristo. Que una persona necesita que cambiar su carácter, cambiar su mentalidad, cambiar su información, cambiar para ser cristiano. This is the important part, folks. To be born again, you got to just change the way you think. By the way, that's the definition of repentance. The Greek word metanoia. Meta comes from the word metamorphosis. Noia comes from the word of knowledge. To metamorphosize your knowledge or to change the way you think. And we say repentance. We say, well, I'm walking one direction, I come back the other. 
This is true. But it's deeper than that. It's the way you think about the Bible, the way you think about church, the way you think about God, the way you think about Jesus Christ, the way you think about your, your fellow man. Religion can't save you. You have to be born again. Number two, intellect can't save you. Su inteligencia. ¿Lo estoy diciendo bien? ¿Correcto? A ver, ¿quién habla español? ¿Sí? Oh, ahí está mi hermana allá atrás. I was going to have you do that for me. We're almost out of time. I got to run through this real quick. Su inteligencia no se puede, but thank you. I appreciate that. Su inteligencia no lo puede salvar uno. Your intelligence. A lot of people say, well, I think, and I believe, and I. Anytime somebody starts with the statement, I think, or I, you can know that it's not from the word of God. Hay mucha gente que dice, pues yo conozco, yo sé, ah, yo he experimentado. Eso no lo salva una persona. Mira lo que Nicodemus dijo. Le dijo, uh, Nicodemus said to him, a, a Cristo, he said, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Tú eres el maestro de Israel y no conoces estas cosas. ¿Verdad? Tú lo debes de conocer más que nadie más. Tu inteligencia no te está salvando. Number three, experience cannot save you. Su experiencia no lo puede salvar. Hay mucha gente que me dice, pues yo vi a Cristo, o yo conocí a Cristo, yo lo soñé, o Él apareció, o alguien me dijo, y más cosas que yo estaba experimentando. I experienced these things. I saw God. I saw Jesus. I experienced Him in a dream. And so therefore, I'm going to heaven. I tell a story of, of this gentleman that came to me one time, and he saw my patch. I had bike, uh, Bikes for Christ, Pastor Sal, and he goes, oh, you're a pastor. Let me share something with you. He says to me, he says, I want you to know something, that I died seven times. I go, wow, is that why you smell? No, I didn't say that. <laughs> they should have buried you, man. Um, I, I didn't say that. You died seven times. Well, tell me about it. Well, I died, went to the hospital, they brought me back, and God said, go back. And again, I died, and God said, go, well, what did he tell you to come back to? Well, what for? He told me to tell people about Jesus. How's that working out for you? Well, I still got to get on to it. You got to die again or what? Well, that's not the point. The point is, since you're a pastor, what do you think about that? About what, dying and coming back? Even seven times? Well, I, I'll tell you what, I, I, I don't know what to tell you, to be honest with you, because I, I don't know what you experienced. But I can tell you what the Bible says. I'll tell you what the Bible says. The Bible says this, that man is destined to die once and then be judged. Well, you know, the next words that came out of his mouth said the whole thing. Well, you know how the Bible contradicts itself. And the Bible is not always accurate. You see, there are people that will base their whole spiritual life on experience. Hay gente que va a poner toda su vida espiritual. La diferencia del cielo al infierno, the difference between heaven and hell. They're going to base it on experience. Or they're going to base it on intelligence. Or they're going to base it on religion. Folks, the only thing that can save you is Jesus Christ. Number four, only Jesus, no más Cristo, solamente Cristo lo puede salvar. Solamente Cristo. This verse here, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. There is this belief that you have to have on Jesus. Hay una creencia que una persona necesita que tener. La persona necesita que saber y conocer a Cristo, no nomás inteligentemente, pero por su corazón también. Oh, wait a minute. Didn't you just say experience doesn't count? Oh, no. Didn't you just say emotions doesn't count? Oh, yes, it does. See, when you put the mind and the heart together. Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. This is what you need to do with everything that you have. Not just your emotion. Throw 
everything else out the window. You must be born again, and you have to believe in him. There's a time that Jesus went over the lake, and he went over to the other side of the lake, and people were not understanding who Jesus Christ was. And there was this man, the, uh, one, one chapter, one book says there was two, but there was this man that was possessed by demons. And if you get the two chapters together, you can probably get the story that this man was naked. He was outside. He was in chains. He would break the chains, and he would terrorize people around him. He lived within the catacombs, the graveyards, and nobody would come near to him because they were afraid of this demon-possessed man. And this demon, when Jesus got off the boat, this demon saw Jesus, and he ran to him, and he fell down on his face, and he worshipped him. He knew exactly what he had to do, a demon, when he came in contact with the Holy One. And his theology was correct. Why have you come at this point uh, before the appointed time? O son of the most high God. His eschatology was right. He knew the appointed time. He knew when that was going to happen. He knew what was going to happen to him. And he knew his, his Christology. He knew that God was here on the planet with, in the form of man. See, this demon had his biblical facts correct. And everything that this demon knew about Jesus Christ, he believed. He believed. See, my, my fear is, folks, there are many of you guys that believe. You have this belief, but your life has not changed. Your life remains the same. You know what I call that? I call that demon faith. James says, you believe in God? Well, good. Even the demons believe, and they shudder. You know, even the demons, they shudder. They know how to worship. And some people that I know, they call themselves Christians, hey, yeah, you know, it's a big deal. He's a forgiving God. Hey, there's no shudder in their voice at all. It's like, it's okay. That's all right. God's, you know, when I get there, we'll talk it out. When I get there, you know, he's going to let me in because, you know, because I am so good, God's going to lower his standard and I, all the good things that I've done, he's going to let me in. Folks, you're sorely miss, missing the point. The only way to heaven is through the cross. El único modo que una persona puede entrar al reino del cielo es por la cruz. Look at this verse with me, the last verse, and I'm going to conclude with this. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is the eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Porque la paga del pecado es muerte, mas la dádiva de Dios es vida eterna en Cristo Jesús nuestro Señor. Or Señor nuestro. For the wages of sin is death. Look at this illustration very quickly with me, if it's up there. When you take the words, for the wages of sin is death. You go to the next slide. You'll see this, that wages is what you get paid for. You have to work at being sinful. It is frustrating. It is difficult. It is tiring. You're, you're depressed and you're angered because you are working for your benefit. And when you are working because of sin, go to the next slide. The wages of sin is death. Sin is the one thing that is keeping us from God. It removes us from the fellowship of God. It has removed us from his presence. 
God loves you, but he can't see you until that sin is covered in the blood of Jesus. And the way it's covered by the blood of Jesus is you believe, not like the demons believe, but you believe that he died on the cross for you and you're born again and your life is changed. For the wages of sin is death, not just physical death, but a spiritual death, a death that separates you from God forever. But, keep going on the the slides, but the gift of God is eternal life. You see, gift, eternal life. You don't have to work for a gift. A gift is given to you for free. It is given to you. All you have to do is receive it. And you go across on the other side through Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's the cross that has made it possible for us to get to heaven. God saw a people in trouble. God saw a church in trouble. God sent Paul into Corinth. You guys are sexually moral. You're getting drunk. You guys are eating. You guys are sec- all this stuff. Your marriages are falling apart. You know, and you guys are misusing the spiritual gifts. You need love. You need to understand that Jesus Christ, our Lord, is the one that died for you. Jesus said it himself. You got to be born again. You got to become a brand new person. The old you is no longer there. The old you, and you are becoming more and more like Jesus. You want the litmus test? You want what, what, I, what you have to be looking like? Well, not like Pastor Sal, that's for sure. Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23. When you have the fruit of the Spirit, you can love the unlovable. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That fruit of the Spirit will imbue. You'll have love for the unlovable. Peace, patience. Oh, my God, how many of you guys are praying for patience? Yeah, some of you already know that. No, I don't want to pray for patience because God puts you in the most impatient places. I'm telling you. Same way as don't pray for love. God, just help me to love this person. You know what he does? He brings the most unlovable people in your life. You got unlovable people in your life? Yeah, okay, you need to learn how to love. Let the fruit of the Spirit just imbue, just come out. And, and, and ultimately, the last one, many of you guys want this self-control. And you want to shortcut everything else. And God is saying, you got to start at the beginning. This is not fruits. It's not a bowl of fruits that you can pick and choose. It's a process as you progress. Not perfection, folks, but progress. It's not what you do to make it perfectly right. Okay, I can check that one off my list. Check that. No, it's a progress that you go through. Commit your life to Jesus Christ. That's the only way. Now, the baby dedication is, is a beautiful picture of how that works within the Christian himself. If you commit your life to, to Christ right now, you would dedicate your life to Christ. And you will grow up. You will have spiritual fathers and godfathers around you to help you and to help you grow and develop and become more like Jesus Christ. When, when you do that, and, and it, it'll take you maybe like a baby, maybe the first year. And then the second year, you'll mature. You'll start eating some meat. The third year, you're running and walking. In the fourth year, you're involved in ministry and you're getting plugged in and, and people are coming to know who Jesus Christ is because of what he's done in your life. Now he transformed you and changed you because you're no longer that person. You're a brand new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. That is my prayer, folks, for this church and for you and your family.
And my prayer is that you commit your life to Jesus Christ right now. Let me ask you to stand. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I'm not going to ask you to repeat a prayer after me either. That's what some people call easy believism. Oh, I said the prayer, I'm done. I'm out of here. I'm going to ask you to change your life right now. I'm going to ask you that if this word convicts your heart, challenges your heart, creates a heart of worship, confirms the presence of God here, that you change the way you think. See, because religion can't save you. Intellect can't save you. Experience can't save you. Only Jesus can save you. And that you believe in him, not like the demons did, but you believe in him where he says, okay, Lord, I don't know how I'm going to do this next step, but I'm going to trust in you. And you walk out of this place one foot at a time, not with perfection, but with progress. And the evidence is going to be the fruit. What is it that you are, what is it that you're showing? How are you living? What's most important what Paul had said right here, this is, this is the key to this whole tongues thing. The most important thing is to communicate God's word. That's the most important thing. Not tongues. Communicate God's word. Father, I want to thank you once again for giving us this opportunity to dive into your word. And Lord, the communicating of your word needs to be clear, needs to be challenging, needs to be convicting. Because Father, many of us, all of us, have failed you in so many different ways. And I pray, Father, that today that we are being convicted, we're recognizing your presence, that we are being challenged. I pray, Father, that you create a heart of worship in our life. Our church cannot save us, but I thank you for our church. I thank you that we have a place where we can come and gather and fellowship and enjoy this meal together and this fellowship together. I thank you that we have the ability to grow together and to understand one another. I thank you, Father. So I pray, Lord, that as you lift us up and you carry us forward, that we start to see the changes, but not only us, that others see the change in us. Oh, Lord, so many times, I know from my personal experience that my walk was not where it should be. And I have hurt people more than I've helped them. And I pray that that no longer is the issue in my life. Lord, let our walk be such that it brings people to you, not repels people from you. That's the change you're looking for. Search my heart, O oh Lord, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. So thank you, Father, once again. Father, I just pray for our, our time of fellowship, the meal that we're about to partake of. I thank you for the family that provided this for us. I pray, Lord, over the meal right now that you uh, have prepared, that you bless and you nourish us, that you just give us this sound fellowship that we can have with one another. I thank you for all things, I pray. In Jesus' name, and everyone says, amen, amen and amen. May the Lord be with you.